Hi everyone and welcome again to Connected Learning TV. This is our third webinar in a special two-month long series titled Post-Connected Educator Month, A Connected Mindset. I'm John Barloni, the Community Manager for the Connected Learning Alliance and I'm going to be our host for today. So throughout this particular series on Connected Learning TV, we're introducing you to some of the awesome insights and best practices and advice that came out of this year's Connected Educator Month back in October. And if you're watching this, please uh, take a moment to share it with your fellow educators, especially if they didn't have a chance to participate during Connected Educator Month. Today we're chatting specifically about the collaboration and capacity building theme and before we dive into our chat, let's just go over a few quick details like normal. So to those who are watching us live right now, we welcome your comments and your questions either via the Twitter hashtag CE14, that's CE14, or via the Google Plus event page. And we'll do our best to address your questions here in the Google Hangout. And we're also chatting throughout the month in the Connected Learning Google Plus community. So before we officially begin, uh, I'd like to, as usual, give our guests a chance to introduce themselves. So we're going to go from my left to right. So Jenna, do you want to start us off? Sure. Hello, everyone. I am Jenna, the Communications and Alliance Strategist for the National Council of Teachers of English. And um, I, uh, in that role, I'm working on communicating about all the different things that NCTE does, and one of them um, has been the work that we've been doing with Connected Educators Month, specifically the theme of um, collaboration and capacity building. So I look forward to sharing some of that good work that we did during the month of October with you today. Thanks, Jenna. And Lisa? Hi, I'm Lisa Fink. I work on ReadWriteThink.org here at the National Council of Teachers of English. Um, ReadWriteThink is a platform for teachers and students with lesson plans and teaching resources for students K through 12. Um, in addition to that, I work on publications here and in the professional learning department. And on the side, I teach at the University of Illinois. Thanks, Lisa. And last but not least, Michael. Hi, I'm Michael. I'm an assistant professor at the University of North Georgia in Dahlonega, about an hour north of Atlanta. I teach writing and rhetoric classes, um, and it got involved with the Connected Educators Month through NCTE, where I was a, had the opportunity to be a curator, attend um, Twitter conversations, webinars, global webinars, and then blog about the great events that were going on during the month of October. Very cool. So. In advance, thank you to the three of you for your time, your energy, and your insights today. And so I know a, a couple of you had mentioned in particular your involvement in Connected Educator Month and how we've been uh, opening up the, the conversations in each of the webinars in this particular series is just getting a sense from our guest speakers. Um, what in particular drew you to Connected Educator Month and this vision of educators connecting together? And I'll leave that wide open, whoever wants to jump in, and we'll go from there. Uh, this is Lisa. I'll go ahead and start. So my work on Read, Write, Think has always been getting teachers to communicate with others and share the good work that they're doing with their students uh, globally through our, our online platform. And so that idea has been happening for a really long time. And now that Read, Write, Think is over 12 years old, um, we're trying to find what are new ways that teachers and students can 
get together and, and collaborate and connect. And so we wanted to try a few things uh, this year during Connected Educator Month. Um, also, the, the idea of collaboration and capacity building, which is the theme that we all worked on, fits really nicely with the work that we do with the National Center for Literacy Education, which is an initiative that we work on here at NCTE, but we also work with 31 other professional learning organizations um, to really spread the idea that literacy is, is everyone's job. It's, it's a shared responsibility. Mm -hmm. I'll go next. Um, something that, oh, sorry, Michael. No, 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 no. Um, one of the things that was particularly interesting uh, to me about Connected Educators Month is that I, my, um, for the past 10 years, before I came to NCT, I was working in teacher professional development, and the, the work that I was doing um, with educators was all very much focused on the work that we did together in person. Uh, and we, we thought a lot about creating online learning and collaboration spaces, but felt like our model was really based on this idea of educators being physically in the same place working together. So I was particularly interested to learn about what was going on during Connected Educators Month because um, that was a whole form of professional learning for educators that in many ways was new to me uh, and my eyes were opened and I was um, really excited about some of the things that I learned there and it actually ended up serving as a jumping off point for me to let go of some skepticism I had about things like um, like Twitter chats and even arguably some online webinars um, and so I've become much more interested in embracing these as ways uh, to further learning and collaboration with educators than I feel like I had before I started learning what I did during that month. Yeah, good. I appreciate the honesty in your response there, Jenna, you know, the hesitation with Twitter conversations and webinars. That's something I want to touch on a little later in this conversation. Um, what drew me um, to Connect Educators Month is actually strange enough a little selfish. So I, I finished grad school and this is now just my third semester um, as, as a professor and I moved from grad school where I was very much connected to other grad students. We're all in this similar experience together. We're trying to survive intellectually together. We're writing our dissertations, we're cramming, we're teaching and then I become an assistant professor and all of a sudden I feel like I'm on my own. Um, I actually feel closer to my senior students who are you know 22, 23 than I did to my colleagues who are sometimes in, um, three decades into teaching. So I was kind of this, in this in-between stage. I didn't feel connected to my colleagues yet. I, 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 I felt more connected to my students. So I, I was looking for ways to um, keep connected to my discipline, keep connected to other educators as I was moving this transition from being a grad student to now being a professor. And so that's what really drew me um, to Connect Educators Month. And of course, through that, I was able to bring some professional things I could bring into the classroom. I could establish some more connections. Um, and I think that's made me a much better teacher, a better researcher. I think personal connection is, is always a great motivator. Nothing to be ashamed of there. So I want to get a sense again from the three of you from a, a leadership or a theme leadership standpoint. What were some of the highlights from the month for you? I know there were obviously a, a ton of things going on, a ton of things to be involved in, and uh, probably not every one of them was going to be a home run just based on the sheer sure. scale and volume. So what were some of the things that you felt worked best either event-wise or connection-wise or or maybe a particular challenge that came up that maybe you hadn't seen before? 
I can go ahead and get started on this one too. Um, I may or may not be answering your question, but uh, as as folks know, for Connected Educator Month, there's thousands of different activities that are happening all day, every day, and and how do you find time to attend a Twitter chat or a web seminar when you're teaching all day or you have class or it's the weekend. And so one of the things that we tried to do to make the events more um, accessible to folks is we put together a curation team. And, and as Michael mentioned, he was on the curation team. So we had um, 10 or 12 different educators that came together and volunteered to attend different events throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month. And then um, we had weekly phone calls where we uh, took notes, talked about things that were shared in a Google Doc, and then folks worked to uh, blog their experiences. And so we actually have some blogs that we can share out about the different events and happenings that, that people um, took part in. So it's, it's really a divide and conquer approach to, uh, to the, the pretty overwhelming uh, an exciting month that was Connected Educator Month. Uh, I'll go next. Um, I think the thing that was my favorite <coughs> that happened um, during, the, the, the favorite event that we helped to curate um, centered around the National Day on Writing. And mm. so the National Day on Writing uh, is something that NCTE in collaboration with um, uh, I, with I, National National Writing Project, and then Lisa, is it also IRA? I, on the side, but the New York Times Learning Network is the New other York. primary partner. There you go. Yeah. So, so this is an event that um, we have collaboratively worked on for four or five years. Um, but this year, as we were building up to Connected Educators Month, and then also thinking about some internal priorities, we decided to focus, and also looking, actually, frankly, at the events that were going on um, in our country at the time. We decided to focus the theme of uh, the 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 writing for National Day on Writing on Write My Community. Um, which we thought would uh, it would be both timely, but also it would be interesting to see what happened um, when this was sort of a prompt or an idea that was given to the whole country to see what what kind of writing would emerge from that. And um, we connected it to what we were doing for Connected Educators Month by also thinking about how could we somehow um, have a conversation around assessment um, related to what what was generated on the day, the National Day on Writing. And um, that was because assessment is an interest for uh, NCTE, and we have a number of um, educators who are experts in thinking about alternative ways to approach assessment right now. We also know it's kind of a hot-button issue. But we also wanted to think along the lines of communication or collaboration and capacity building, what happens when we, um, when we think in a big way about concepts like assessment and what we can learn from um, from actual student writing, and what kinds of capacity might we build um, for our thinking, for a broadened thinking about what assessment might look like when we're having sort of a national conversation about it that's based on actual work that comes from writers all, all across the country. So it ended up generating this webinar that um, for the reasons that Lisa talks about, uh, were not was not terribly well attended, but it was actually one of my favorite um, events that happened because these educators we combed through. I, I can't even remember how many 
um, tweets, because that's sort of the big way that people demonstrate what they've done on the National Day on Writing. They tweet up examples of the writing or stories about what they're doing. We comb through hundreds of, probably thousands of tweets to pull up examples of um, work that folks were creating. And then we asked this panel to look at this work and talk about what they could learn from it. So it was kind of like what um, PLCs do at the school level, but we were doing it with writing that came from all across the country. And um, so they were looking at this writing and talking about what can you learn from writing when you look at it in this way, and what, do, what do implications does that have for the way that we think about assessment mm -hmm. writing. And mm -hmm. it was just a really um, neat and rich conversation, and um, and it ended up going, ending up in a direction that I had never really thought we would go in. At the end, they all, all of the people started talking about this idea of, actually, when we talk about assessment, we're talking about these actual pieces of writing. But when we think about assessment in the context of literacy, and we look at this writing that's coming from all these different communities, maybe we should actually be thinking about how do we assess the way that a community provides for, encourages, and fosters the conditions that are necessary for literacy learning to occur. So it ended up going in this whole different direction that was really um, just exciting and I think has really fueled, at least on NCTE's part, um, curiosity about what might we have to say about that. So mm -hmm. it, was, it was definitely an, an exercise that ended up being generative and I think will have implications for what we do over the course of the next year. I really enjoy that hashtag, Write My Community. Um, I spent some time blogging about that and even going back and searching that hashtag, you can go back and see the really rich conversation that arose from that day. Um, the pivotal moment for me, one of these really great moments that I'll, that I'll remember for a while is having a chance to sit in on a webinar hosted in New Zealand. Um, so they had ULEARN 14. It's an annual conference for um, educators in that in that location. It's a chance educators from all levels to be able to get together, some in person, some digitally, and talk about education. So it was in New Zealand. I'm sitting in Atlanta, Georgia. So I remember being in my pajamas late at night I'm trying to catch it live. I have my desktop on with the webinar on. I have my laptop so I can blog about it, so I can tweet about it. Uh, my infant daughter wasn't feeling well, so I had her in my lap. And it's just this wild moment where I'm watching a live conference in New Zealand, and it just occurs to me. This, you know, they're talking about the same things in New Zealand that I'm talking about with, with my colleagues that I'm writing about, that I'm thinking about. How do we connect with our students? How do we connect schools to each other? How do we get the community involved? And Jenna talked about the community briefly. And so I was, one, trying to catch up with their language. There's just unique idioms that they have. Tertiary school. I was, what the heck is tertiary school? And it occurred to me, oh, I teach at a tertiary level. That's college. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to keep up with, they use the word clustering. I typically use the word small groups. Um, and so just trying to catch up with these little idioms, but just that wonderful realization that, Education is not restricted to the Southeast, not restricted to the United States, not restricted to a grade level. Around the world, my colleagues are thinking about similar issues I'm thinking about. They're worrying about assessment. They're worrying about um, government initiatives, for better or worse, how those are involved in education. They're worried about connecting with parents. They're worried about connecting with the community. These are all challenges we're globally involved in together. That was a very pivotal moment for me as an educator to sit in on that webinar. Michael, I think that brings up a great point in terms of, you know, you look back maybe a few years ago even before the advent of Twitter or maybe some of these other tools that make it so easy to get in touch with someone across the globe. Mm -hmm. You know, global collaboration, global, you know, touching base with others who are kind of in your same shoes probably wasn't even possible or at least 
wasn't possible to this kind of scale. Sure. So I wanted to see, I know, Michael, you shared a, a personal story about globally collaborating with people, but I also wanted to see from the three of you your experience uh, in terms of keeping an eye on people who are involved in your theme. Did you see a lot of global interaction going on, or do you think for connected educators who are first starting out that staying local is you know, that familiar first step, and that's what people should stick with. Mm -hmm. One of the things that uh, folks will be able to see um, in the recorded version of this Hangout will be some links to the things that we talk about here. And um, John, one of the things that I thought was kind of neat that we brought into what we did during the month, but also that wasn't as well attended as as it can be now because it's still available, um, was the fact that we each week um, hosted a different webinar with um, different experts that talked about what collaborative collaboration and capacity building means in their different projects that they do. And um, a couple of those, uh, actually I think three of them, I think there were five that we did, and I think three of them actually might have been um, from projects that have originated in or happen in other countries. Um, and they were really interesting um, pieces that looked at sort of systems thinking and, um, and these uh, kind of intricate ways in which um, uh, these consultants or big thinkers about collaboration have worked with different school teams across um, spaces and places to get them to think about capacity building. And I think what was interesting to me in looking at all of those was um, just what Michael was talking about, how similar a lot of the um, a lot of the themes were across what each group was talking about, even if they were talking about it in, you know, in Singapore, or they were talking about it in England. Um, and, and so that, that piece was kind of interesting, but I would encourage folks to check out, the, it was called the Cricket webinar series, mm -hmm. and um, we'll make sure that you have a, a link available to that. You can look it up on, if you look on the Connected Educators website, um, for just look for Cricket, C-R-I-C-E-T, then you'll be able to find those. And um, they're all recorded now, so you can watch all of them. And I've been thinking, I actually would love over the, the long break to kind of sit and look through them because it would be a really interesting um, education in what co collaboration and capacity building means in all different places around the country. And you don't have to do it in the middle of the night like you had to do, Michael. <laughs> You're watching it live. Yes. Going back to John's question, there certainly was, I noticed, a heavy global emphasis in Connect Educators Month when I was involved in October. And we, as a curator, I had the opportunity to select the events that I had that I wanted to attend and that fit into my schedule. And I was gravitating towards global events. I sat in on a Twitter conversation for Connect Educators Month in Norway, where they had a education consultant from Brazil talking to. Um, Norwegian um, educators. I had the chance with New Zealand, so I was actively looking for global events. But the second part of your question, John, for educators, to, should we move towards globally connected or is local helpful? Um, this is the obvious answer, but context is so key to what we do. So I'm working in Georgia, and right now there's a huge initiative at the college level called Complete College Georgia. So our state educators have got excited about getting students into school and out of school pretty quickly. And some of that spurred because of the growing um, debt that college students are accruing, which is certainly unfortunate. But there's a huge push to get students out of, through college quickly. 
and because of that there's a strong push for online classes, a strong push to take 15 hours every semester. There's a lot of things our state legislators doing to get students into college, out of college fast. So because of that, I have unique constraints that I'm working in. And I don't use the word constraints in a negative sense, but positive and negative. My context demands I approach my students in the classroom in a certain way. I'm, an, I'm in the Appalachian area, so I have Appalachian um, students. They have unique things they bring to the classroom. Some things that really help them, some things that might um, hold them back a little bit. So because of this rich context we all work in, I think forming those local um, alliances is critical but also keeping in mind that these issues permeate beyond our local borders and it's critical to have global colleagues. Lisa, anything to add on that particular point in terms of things you saw during Connected Educator Month, if it was mo mostly localized or if you saw global kind of being a bigger aspect than maybe the past couple of years? I think overall there was a, a larger focus for general CEM and, and getting in global partners and I think that was great and so I think when you have those rich offerings from from the, the local state national and, and international that, that people have more more options and more things to choose from um, so I, I definitely think there, there was a larger international um, global pull than in the past. I do want to say too that we've talked a lot about web seminars and we've talked a lot about Twitter chats but we tried to make sure when we were planning the content that we were responsible for that we had um, varying uh, bites that you could take. So if you had just a, a small amount of time you could read a post on formative assessment and ask questions of an expert. If you had a little bit more time um, you could read some of the blog posts that we were writing about what we had going on. Um, you know, if, if you had just a minute, you could watch the hashtag or look at the theme page and see what was happening. Um, and then, of course, if you had more time, then you could do the hour-long Twitter chats or the, the web seminars for however long they were. Um, so we, we really tried to vary uh, the, the amount of time you needed to, to give up to be part of not give up, invest, the amount of time you needed to invest to be part of uh, the different offerings we had during the month. That's a great point, Lisa, and that actually dovetails really nicely into this next question I wanted to get at, which again is something that we kind of collaborated on before this particular session and came up with some talking points and something that stuck out to me was this question of, you know, how can educators, you know, keep collaboration as, as something at the forefront of their mind, at the forefront of their practice when, like you mentioned, Lisa, everyone kind of has varying degrees of time that they can uh, invest in professional development, in, you know, maybe keeping up with their own Twitter uh, personal learning network. What are your recommendations for uh, specifically educators on how they can find the time to do this and make this a habit and not just, a, you know, once a year type of endeavor. I'll talk again a little more about NCLE, the National Center for Literacy Education, that, that initiative that NCTE and 31 other professional organizations are part of. The, the whole idea of, of NCLE and its online community called the Literacy and Learning Exchange is to provide a, a place and space for people to talk 
and to collaborate. So uh, the initial idea or thought is that you can uh, form a group, and so it can be a local group, it can be a, a regional group or international global group, and come, come up with a, an inquiry question. What are you thinking about as your group? And uh, so in your space on the exchange, you can um, post your question, you can have conversations, post resources, uh, but the great thing is, is the exchange, you can make all of this transparent so other people can see the conversations that you're having, the learning that's taking place, the, the struggles, the aha moments. Um, so then other folks can join into your group and comment and, and offer help and you can find other folks that, that have like-minded ideas too. Um, so you can still have that school-based group or that district-based group but then you can definitely grow your professional learning network um, as wide as, as possible, which is, is really helpful, I think. So an example of that is, as Jenna mentioned, we're just coming back from the NCTE annual convention uh, that was held the week before Thanksgiving in DC. And so uh, we're working with a group of rural schools across the, the country. And so we've got a space in the exchange where we can look at what does early literacy look like in uh, rural school districts across the United States. So that's a spot where we can all talk, but then other folks who teach in a, in a similar area or location um, can be part of that group and be part of that learning as well. Yeah. I think that um, my I think that I would agree with all those points that Lisa um, just made, and I also think that uh, so I think that for me the metaphor that I'm sort of evolving to think about when I think about professional learning as an educator and being a connected educator is um, the idea of coming up with a per personal fitness plan, um, nice. and that that for everybody that's different, right? So our goal is that we want to make sure that. We, we are healthy and we are in shape and as educators we want to be healthy and in shape as educators but that doesn't look the same for everybody and so some people are going to run marathons and some people are going to go to the gym and walk on the treadmill and some people like me are going to wear my this is a commercial but my, my, my fitness because that like helps me to, to, to be accountable to what I need to do and I think we're at a really exciting time in education where you have all those options available and you can pick what fits your time and your lifestyle and your needs and I think um, that's particularly critical for a, a little mention that Michael just made that I, I've been thinking a lot about because I have young kids at home too and I and um, when I joined uh, or started working with NCTE um, I also signed my husband up for uh, membership with NSTA he's a middle school um, science teacher and neither of us though we've been in education for a long time have been members of organizations before and it's been really eye-opening to me to look at what he gets what we get and, and what, what I get as a member of NCTE and and um, and also just what's available for both of us to grow our learning as educators now and it makes me realize that in a lot of ways um, the restrictions that made it difficult in a lot of times for ways for educators to keep growing and learning after school particularly if they had families that they had to attend to are not the same kinds of restrictions anymore because you have the flexibility of this online learning and collaboration so I'm sure people have done studies on this but I just think it's interesting because it it means that there are more opportunities for you to continue to grow as an educator outside mm -hmm. the confines of a particular day and I, I don't think that was always the case mm -hmm. 
Thanks for sharing that, Jenna. And again, kind of harkening back to this list of questions that we'd all collaborated on, another one in particular that stuck out to me was um, this question of how educators collaborating with one another, figuring out how to build capacity one another. Uh, it seems fairly obvious how that would benefit educators. I mean, you're learning new tools, new tips, um, new ways to get your students engaged. Uh, and I wanted to see, again, from the three of you in your own particular words, how you see educator collaboration directly benefiting students on a day-to-day -day basis as opposed to just making lives easier for the educators. Sure. And when I think of collaboration, I also think of connectedness. So an educator is connected to other educators locally, globally. Um, and I can think back um, to a really pivotal moment for me when I was in high school and I was taking a, a history class. And we had an older um, history teacher and she was giving us our worksheets. Um, and she must have used the same worksheet every single day for the past, you know, several decades when she taught because the, the date was wrong on the worksheet she gave us. It was like June 13th, which was June 13th, but said like 1993. And we were looking at each other. Is this, did she just get this wrong? But, you know, later we learned that she was using these same worksheets on that day. June 13th was that worksheet. May 1st was this worksheet. And so um, I, I don't mean bring this up to, 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 be, to belittle this, this history teacher, but that, that just was one of these moments where I knew at the time I wanted to be an educator. And I still think about this a lot, how it's very easy with how much we do to get in this rut. And what would be easiest for me as an educator is for me to use the same syllabus I used last year that I used before, the same readings, the same assignments. That, that makes things easier. But I collaborate, I connect with my other educators, that brings new ideas, that brings this new energy, that's going to benefit the students. Um, I referenced a Twitter conversation I sat in on that took place in Norway, and the Brazilian education consultant talking in, in Norway and tweeting about her conversation, she mentioned, your students need a connected teacher. Our students are connected. Our students are heavily engaged with a variety of social media platforms, some of which I haven't even heard of and I'm still learning about, Yik Yak, for example. So they're heavily connected. Our students need, and I agree, our students need a connected teacher. And that's I see connection, I see collaboration dovetail together. We actually had a, a conversation here at NCTE about the term capacity building and what does that mean? You know, is it that million dollar buzzword that everyone's throwing around? And so we actually uh, crowdsourced a, a definition of it and it's expanding potential. Hmm. And that's, that's a really great thing to think about and, you know, we always look at finding the potential in our students and so don't we want to expand the potential we have as, as teachers and educators um, and and to grow our own learning which will then in turn benefit our students as well. Speaking to what Michael said, I read a, a blog post today that uh, intrigued me and it was uh, an administrator who became a student for the day and um, I wish I could remember the details of, of where he was, but he actually uh, worked with a student volunteer, got her schedule, and followed her schedule throughout the day. And, and so before he started, he um, made some assumptions of what he would see during the day. And then he took notes on his day and then reflected on what assumptions were true, what assumptions were false. Um, 
So, so the idea is really putting yourself in, in your student's shoes and learning about what they're doing and, you know, maybe then making those connections to see how you could implement some of those things in, into your professional life. That's a, that's a great example. I know very easily as a teacher I can think that the only class my students are taking is my class. The only paper they're writing are my papers. The only books they're reading are the books I have signed them. And it's e very easy for me to forget that a lot of my students are taking four of their classes and that mine is just one-fourth of their day or one-fifth of their day. Um, another thing that popped in my head, um, and I'm, I'm excited to hear what Jen has to say here, as I, I was, I'm reading over another Twitter conversation. They were talking about this game called Mystery Skype, um, and this goes back to how educated, how a connected teacher helps students become connected. And this was for, um, I think, a K through five classroom, where you, or the classroom skyped with another classroom. They weren't sure which class that was, even where globally where that class was, but they were asking each other questions, yes, no questions. They had to try to guess where was that classroom in the world. So you could have a classroom in Alabama Skyping with the class, you know, it may be Minnesota, maybe England, but it, that was kind of a neat, neat game. So educators using Skype in the classroom and now exposing students to that. This taught great lessons about so in social studies, history, um, foreign language. I thought that was a kind of a cool, cool game. Um, ma it makes me wish I was still teaching high school something I could do. You can do, you can do it at the college level too. <laughs> yeah, I could pull that off. Pull I could pull off. that off. We just uh, have to write about it for five pages. There you go. <laughs> that works. Um, I think one of the things that has been really exciting to me just in the past um, several months of working with NCTE um, is the fact that prior to that I was working largely here in the District of Columbia um, and I was working with DC Public Schools and um, even within our tiny little city um, we we live, it's, it's as if we live in lots of different countries because um, there are pockets where what education looks like is completely different from something that's um, 10 miles away, or less than 10 miles away, four miles away. Um, mm -hmm. And so on the ground, what I had experienced here was I, in, in the last few years, working with um, groups of middle school educators who were uh, designing social studies curriculum connected to the Common Core. And we did a lot of work with looking at um, student work that was generated from these commonly created um, instructional units. And it was a huge eye-opener, even though everybody knew what was in the news about the fact that the schools in Southeast were, had, had sort of different standards for what was happening in terms of student learning than the schools in Northwest, when the teachers were all sitting together at the table together and looking at um, students who had all been given the same assignment, um, but again, with, within just geographical bike riding distance from one another, we're creating very different levels of work. Um, it suddenly brought the conversation to a whole different level, and um, it eliminated a lot of the sort of excuse making and, um, you know, a lot of the, the, the stalling tactics that I think had, had previously gotten in the way of us moving forward in terms of instructional decision making. And so what's been really neat about now um, taking my work to thinking about educators collaborating on a national scale is seeing the same kind of thing happen. So, um, you know, at the in-person convention when everybody's on the ground together, that was really powerful. You've got 6,000 people who are swapping ideas and getting super excited about it. But what was even more exciting to me was the fact that 
because they are starting to think, educators are starting to think in almost multi-dimensions about the idea of sharing, while they were on the ground doing this collaborating, they were also tweeting about it. They were also putting it out into social media. And so that learning was expanding beyond the 6,000 people who were in person to thousands of people who were all across the country. And to see ideas spread like wildfire in that way is so exciting because it means that we potentially can shorten a lot of um, the learning curve that has been in place for changes in education historically. Like maybe we can actually come up with ideas that, um, that, that, that catch fire and create change within the span of months as opposed to them taking years. And I've seen that happen especially, you know, I know it's controversial, but around um, something like the Common Core. There is something that lots of people have in common, and so that means that while lots of us have common problems, it also means that we can come up with common solutions. And there were some really powerful conversations happening around that where teachers were saying, this, this could be an obstacle, but it also could be something where, guess what, this is what I've done in my district, and even though you're in Florida and I'm in Illinois, we could actually, you could actually use my ideas because they might actually work in your context. So mm -hmm. I think it's interesting, maybe as we are shifting our definitions of lots of things, even context starts to change a little bit um, when we're able to collaborate so regularly in this way. And Jenna, that's a great point about how the mindset, or if you start from the mindset of being totally open with your practice, not just showing off, you know, the great things that happen, but also showing off, you know, the challenges and the obstacles, then people are going to surprise you and, and help you out and help you come up with solutions and figure out how to do things better because there's always someone out there who, who knows more than you especially in the, the education system when people have been around for so long and like we're seeing and it's been awesome to see uh, all these people kind of just having more ability to experiment and being told that failing is okay and that actually leads into uh, another good question something to kind of tackle in terms of you know, what support or infrastructure do you see is necessary in order for educators to feel that open with their practice in order to feel comfortable uh, sharing what they're doing? I mean, does that have to come from the top down in terms of a school system and the admin has to share that mindset? Or is this something educators can kind of you know do on their own and ask for forgiveness or permission later? I mean, how are you seeing this working out? What has to be in place first? I can go, I can start, Jen, and then you want to pipe in, or do you want to sure. go ahead and start? No, no, you start. Okay, so um, I actually shared a link that, that'll be beneficial um, to show people, so I'll, I'll circle back to the National Center for Literacy Education again, um, because again, the whole idea is, is that literacy is, is everyone's job, and, and so in order to, to have that happen, um, there have to be some conditions in place. Uh, to support that collaboration so you can effectively impact student learning. Um, so there's a great visual we'll be able to share that talk about uh, really six six things that need to take place for that to happen. And the, the very first one, John, answers your question, and you do need that systemic support. You need um, folks who are, are going to allow teachers time and space to, to have these conversations and, and to really do a deep dive into to what's happening. Um, 
the next thing that really needs to happen is is shared agreement. So um, everybody coming together to to look at student artifacts and to, to have those tough conversations and to be able to share, you know, this isn't working in my classroom and why. Or being able to say, this was a home run in my classroom, but why? What what was it that, that took place um, that made that happen? Um, and then there's there's four other pieces that that fall together in there and you'll see in the graphic that we'll share and and it's really that collaborative culture. Um, people being able and willing to talk and share and, and swap ideas. Um, the next one we call deprivatizing practice. Mm -hmm. And that, that means, you know, teaching with your door open or um, again being being able and willing to share stories and and anecdotes about what's working, what's happening, um, and, and then really looking at that. Um, using evidence, so looking at student work, those artifacts that Jenna talked about um, that we did the big project with the National Day on Writing. So, um, you know, you, you teach this lesson, you do this unit, you end up with the student work. Well, let's look at that student work, not just for a grade, but um, what's the learning that's taken place? What are the gaps and holes that we need to address? And those kinds of things. And of course, all of this work starts with an inquiry stance. You know, what do we want to look at? Do we do we want to look at formative assessment and how we're, we're using it with students? Do we want to look at um, how you can tie together technology and the Common Core State Standards? Um, what about early literacy in rural areas? You know, what, what's the, the common question that we can all work on together? Yeah, and I was going to say that there's actually, I wanted to put a plug in for um, a kind of exciting opportunity that's coming down uh, the pike through a partnership between the National Center for Literacy Education, which is a project of NCTE, and um, the Institute of Play, which is um, which may be interesting to any educators who are listening, who are in schools where you're thinking, we want to try to do more of this collaborative stuff, how do we make that happen? Um, and uh, we'll um, make sure that we are able to share a link to this too, but if you go to the Literacy Learning Exchange, you can see it. Um, on the the home page there, or I, th I believe it's on the home page, um, yeah. And um, and what it is is um, an opportunity to go through kind of a, a multi-step um, process. And that makes it sound intimidating, but basically <laughs> it's not. It's learning about how to create, um, use gaming uh, as as a teaching tool in the class but also use it as a tool to set goals and then to be able to measure, use, use student work to actually see whether or not we're achieving those goals and then learn how to change the, you, how to use what we learn from that to end up tweaking the games. So it's actually kind of a neat um, interactive process using something that some teachers may be hearing a lot about but don't really know how to do it. And what's neat is that to, to, that, to your question, John, about providing support um, through the Literacy and Learning Exchange, groups can actually participate in online dialogues about their learning process there um, and there will be supported support provided through each one of the kinds of steps that I just talked about like learning how to create a game, learning how to make a game that meets particular goals, learning how to look at student work and then use that to tweak what I've done with the game that I've created. Um, there's actually going to be a lot of support built into that and there's a webinar coming up. Um, I have it right here but I don't remember exactly. It's, it's December. Oh. Yeah, go. It's December 10th uh, from 3.30 to 4.30 Central Time. Great. 
And if folks can't make it because that's, you know, the end of the school day, it'll be archived and that link will be um, widely available and shared too. Yeah, and I think right now all of those, I mean, all of those resources are available for free. So it's a great thing to jump in and learn about um, and you'll be able to see the ways in which um, NCLE is thinking about providing those supports for teachers. But I want to offer one last thing, which is um, a metaphor that was shared with me to think about what kinds of supports you have to put into place for educators mm -hmm. to be able to do this. And it's the idea of scaffolding. Mm -hmm. And um, when, when someone's building or remodeling a building, you have to think about creating scaffolding that wraps around that building that makes it safe for people to do the work of building. And if we think about that teachers are doing the work of building brains, um, building learning in their students, we have to think about what kinds of scaffolding we have to put into place um, to enable that to happen. And that comes in lots of different forms. And it's, it's the support from administrators, but it's also raising awareness amongst parents and the communities about the work that's happening. And that that scaffolding doesn't look the same everywhere. Like, not every building is the same. There may be some some modular pieces that we can adapt to the different buildings that we go to, but those supports are going to look different depending on the context that educators are working in. In terms of the kind of support needed to make collaboration a big, bigger part of um, our, our practice, uh, I think we're uh, Jenna, Lisa, and myself are connected with National Council for Teachers of English and when it, within the history of English, humanities, the humanities in general, we have long valued the single author, we've long valued the single teacher, promotion and tenure for me is very much based on solo authorship, single authorship, um, and same with my teaching. So we're working with the foundation of the humanities has been like this single instructor going all the way back to Plato teaching Phaedrus, this one person teaching one other person. So we're looking at some, some really big changes to how we think about English literacy education. Um, at the college level, this helps me start thinking about how can I um, show the value of co-authoring? How can I show the value of co-teaching? Thinking about my education experience as a student in um, college, my master's and my, and my doctoral program, there was one moment, one class I had that was co-taught, and this was an honors class as an undergrad. I haven't seen that in the past 10 years in the, in the college level of, of co-teaching. That's in the humanities, and that's certainly um, what my um, colleagues do in other colleges is different. When we start thinking about collaboration, we need to find a way that we value collaboration. And that's a pretty big um, question because that strikes to the heart of how we conceive of the humanities where we very much valorize the single author, the single teacher. Um, so it, it's a narrow question, but I think a very important question to ask. Yeah, yeah, and I'm bouncing off of that, Michael, I think what you're touching upon is um, I've never really heard it articulated that way, so that was a beautiful, and I'm going to steal that and keep thinking about it. Um, but is also this idea that you are an educator and you've worked within the system and you recognize that need um, and that need for that shift. But if that's something that's ingrained in our consciousness as educators, just think about how ingrained it is in the consciousness of people who don't really who who, yes. who experience going through school but don't really understand what needs to be done to change it. And that's mm -hmm. one of the biggest obstacles that we have, I think, in a lot of ways to actually really addressing and changing some of the problems that exist in education. We recognize that this collaboration is vital, but if mm -hmm. you go, I mean, how do you go to, to people on the Hill and be like, teachers need to collaborate more? What? What are you talking about? I don't even understand what that is. We don't collaborate, so we don't know what you're talking about. But <laughs> there's that problem. Sure. And then, then there's also fundamentally not understanding how the systems in which education 
exists work and um, that understanding that there's all these different pieces and all these different players and if they don't learn how to play in concert and in harmony then we're not mm -hmm. going to be able to actually create the music we're trying to create so mm -hmm. how do we figure out how to make that happen um, a big part of it is actually in some ways a new education for for the broader public about the fact that we may be waking up to and understanding the importance of this idea of connection and collaboration, but that doesn't necessarily mean that others do, and we aren't going to be able to foster those conditions we need for this to happen unless we also help to raise consciousness outside of our choir about mm -hmm. why this is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. Um, right now, President Obama is pushing very hard to get more students enrolled in college. I believe he has a date of 2020 in mind to have X amount of students in college and to graduate. And at the in Georgia level, we're trying to get more and more students into college. So we're having more and more students enroll in classes. The last thing my dean wants to hear, the last thing my state senator wants to hear, is that I want to lower teacher-student ratio that I'd like to co-teach this class with another teacher. So we'll have two teachers in here with 20 students. That's, that's going to be hard to do. I think that can be effective, but we need data to show how that's effective. This, certainly the plural of anecdote is not data. Um, so I'm thinking about ways to um, get some data that shows how co-teaching, how co-authoring benefits our students can really help this conversation. When our, when, our, when our state legislators are trying to push more students enrolled in college um, and we're seeing a decrease in teachers, a decrease in funding. That's an excellent issue to think about, Michael. And while you and Jenna were bringing up your past points, I was reminded of an initiative or, or a project, if you want to call it, that's going on right now. And again, it's through the Digital Media and Learning Research Hub, so it's a bit of inside baseball for me, but it's called Connected Courses. And if anyone's checking this out, you can learn more about it at connectedcourses.net. Um, but the entire you know, impetus of that particular project is getting teachers to make their practice, in particular their college courses, uh, open, completely open, uh, mm -hmm. both technologically and also pedagogically. And it's coming from you know, individuals such as uh, Howard Rheingold, who uh, famously has a lot of you know, thinking behind a teacher as a co-learner with their students. And then also Jim Groom and some of the group out of the University of Mary Washington and their uh, college course that's done a lot of evolving over the past few years, Digital Storytelling 106, uh, which you guys might know as DS 106. But there are some awesome examples uh, happening right now and again I, I think Jenna you're kind of touching on this point in terms of you know we're maybe a little bit at the cutting edge here and there's some definite having to pull people along and mm -hmm. make this a norm over the you know as time moves along but I just wanted to get a, a quick plug-in for that for something that people can check out as well in terms of their educators right now trying to to figure this stuff out and Michael I'm definitely gonna make a point in terms of uh, make it an important part to actually capitalize on the data capture that can happen there in terms of tell your stories, how is this working, <laughs> get that data into other people's hands. Yes. So hard to believe we are kind of getting toward the top of our hour already here and I did want to save a little bit of time um, especially since this is kind of one of our big last points is getting a poll from the three of you in terms of the specific communities 
that you consider you know your go-to spaces for learning more about collaboration and capacity building or for actually practicing uh, collaboration and capacity building and I'm sure NCT and NCLE are right there at the top of the list but I'll let the three of you kind of flesh that out a little bit. Well, I'm lucky with my work here on ReadWriteThink that I get to work with teachers uh, across the nation every day, and I get a glimpse into their classrooms um, when they share their lesson plans and teaching ideas, when they share their student artifacts, um, and it, it so it we work together on on collaborating on uh, translating those ideas so that they're uh, able to be replicated by other teachers when they see the resources on ReadWriteThink. Um, so I've, I've got that platform. I'm also fortunate that I have two children in school. I have a high school sophomore and a, a seventh grader um, and I've been connected with their schools from the very beginning and um, make it a point to, to go visit the schools, talk to the teachers. I work very closely with our school library media specialist at the junior high um, on, on different projects and initiatives. Uh, and then my side job with the university working with pre-service teachers, I get to follow them into classrooms as well to collaborate with those teachers. So I, I think it's important to have a mixture of face-to-face -face if you can, um, but then for sure capitalize on the the, the great technology that we have um, where you can do Skype sessions, Twitter chats, web seminars, those kinds of things. It, it, yeah, I agree. That's a great point, Lisa. Um, our students, I'll come back to this point again, but our students so much need a connected educator. And that connection doesn't have to be digital. As odd as that is to sound, as we're having a Google chat, as we're tweeting about this, that connection doesn't have to be digital. That connection can occur by attending local conferences, regional conferences, national conferences. If the funding's not available, that connection can come through reading the journals um, of your field, finding those online, browsing the table of contents, seeing who's publishing, what people are talking about. Um, that could be at the college level, that could be at the K-5 through level. Um, but this, this connection could also occur digitally. A hashtag I very much enjoy following is what is school all one word. Um, it's moderated by a consultant out of Singapore. I believe they're um, they were, um, talking last evening. And so that's one way we can connect it digitally. Um, but certainly um, doesn't have to be digital. We just need to find ways to connect other people doing the work that we're doing. Yeah, I think this is um, this is particularly has has become a real um, awakening for me because as I described before I was working very closely um, with DC Public Schools and doing uh, this various professional le learning projects with them and I did that for I, I was working there for 10 years um, and what has been a breath of fresh air and also slightly horrifying to me <laughs> in the past several months um, is realizing how much we can let our busyness and the, the task in front of us become a, a bit of a blinder to the fact that, that there's not just one way of doing things. Um, so that's something that I'm learning every day in, in this job and I'm hungry now for all the different places that I can learn that I didn't really know existed before. But I'm also conscious of the fact that the vast majority of educators I've worked with over the past 10 years are existing in the same sort of box that I was in. And so I'm thinking a lot about 
as my eyes keep getting opened and I'm sort of in the place right now where I'm like, okay, I can't be on seven different Twitter chats every day and do my job at the same time. So I've got to prioritize and I've got to figure out and strategize about like what I'm going to watch now, what I'm going to think about later and what I'm going to just go and, and learning the different techniques for being able to do those things in different times. Like it, it sounds silly probably to everybody on this call because you do this, but like, learning things like, okay, well, if I search for a hashtag, I don't actually have to have been there for the chat, but I can still see some of the conversation. But then if I do that, what's the difference between looking at top tweets and looking at all the tweets? Like, I'm learning this whole new vocabulary, and I think that's something that um, I'm just thinking about. How do we ease people into that who don't know anything about it? Because it can be very overwhelming, but also really exciting. And a, a final point there that... Um, that uh, my colleague Darren Cambridge has actually brought up to me that was an experiment we're going to do over the winter break is this idea of being part of chats that don't obviously seem like they fit with what we do um, and, and making sure that just because I'm learning to use new platforms doesn't mean I'm still putting myself into a slightly larger but still box. So what happens if I participate in a social studies chat or what happens if I participate in one that's about technology? What new horizons might open to me there? So just because I'm learning how to use technology to be connected, how do I still make sure that I keep the growing learning in that particular space and keep it from being totally overwhelming, which I haven't figured out that part yet. <laughs> Working on it. <laughs> that is the million-dollar question, isn't it? But I, I think that's a, a great point to end on in terms of, you know, immersion sometimes is the best teacher, but we'll all keep helping each other along the way as well. So as happens, our time has kind of run out here, but hopefully this is a great jumping off point if you've been checking this out for you know, future conversations and you're definitely going to have a, a lot of homework in terms of resources that you can check out and places you can go and people you can connect to. So I wanted to thank everybody here for an awesome conversation and again, 60 minutes is never enough. But we're going to have a full recording of this conversation up on www.connectedlearning.tv pretty much uh, right after we hit the button to end this broadcast, so that's great. And then we'll also be compiling a list of the different resources um, that were either mentioned during this webinar or that our guest speakers had shared with us uh, offline. So you'll get a full list of those coming on your way too. And this wraps up the third webinar of this, again, special two-month-long series here on Connected Learning TV. But that doesn't mean our conversations just have to fall flat here. Uh, we encourage everyone to just keep getting involved in the ongoing conversation on Twitter using the hashtag CE14. And hopefully you'll also make some new friends in the Connected Learning Google Plus community. And if you found this conversation helpful, again, please, please, please share it with your networks and encourage them to get involved in the Connected Educators community. And as a reminder, this year, like we talked about during our chat here, uh, Connected Educator Month went totally global. And anyone and everyone can help turn this month of events into a year-long opportunity for educators to connect with and support each other. So I hope you'll consider donating to the Connected Educator Month CrowdRise campaign. And that's crowdrise.com slash connectededucatormonth. And you can sign up for newsletter updates as well at uh, connecteducators.org. And speaking of newsletters, if you'd like to know more about the upcoming, upcoming webinars in this series, you can sign up at www.connectedlearning.tv. So thanks again, everyone. Big pleasure having you on.